Well, I'm fascinated in AI and into anything that's going to save me time. In Your Money Today, Karen Wright takes a look at an area of the market that is fast growing, but that you might not even be aware of, the growth of game-based learning. Good morning, Carolyn. Good morning. According to a recent survey by Zion Market Research, the game-based learning market was valued at 10.9 billion US dollars in 2022, and it's estimated to grow to about 52.8 billion US dollars by 2030. So, we're going to take a look at the market, who the key players are, and what they're doing. And I'm joined by Vince Chu, who is founder and CEO of the Press Start Academy, which is an education concept where learning takes place via play and games. Let's start at the beginning, Vince. What is game-based learning in your mind and how much can it vary, that definition, do you reckon? The great thing about game-based learning as a term is that it's right there in the name, right? Game-based learning, you're learning through games. Now, how do we define learning and how do we define games? Because for those of us who know a little bit of games, we know that there are many different formats, many different genres, many different mechanics. And for those of us who are into education, we also know that there are many different formats and approaches to education, right? The devil really is in the details because you have different solutions for almost different kinds of scenarios that that are out there, different classrooms, whether you're going to be using it at school or at home. It's something similar someone said to me recently. The fintech is a thing of a combo of finance and technology, and there's a kind of intersection, and and some's a bit more of one than the other, and there's going to be a balance somewhere, isn't there? So it's very much up to you how you define it. So what kind of game-based learning are you most involved in? Well, for us, we approach games, I guess, a little bit more philosophically. The term that we normally use is actually learning through play, because a lot of times when people see games and think of games, they think of digital games, because obviously that's the most prevalent format that is out there right now. And so every time you mention gamification or game-based learning, the examples that come up, and rightly so, are things like Roblox, things like Minecraft, and so on, because that's the most recognizable format. Digital games, computer games, mobile games. And that's really the thing that people have the most access to. And so because of that, a lot of kids are interacting with these types of formats. So that's where a lot of the focus is on. The reason why we use learning through play is because we like to think about it, I guess, a little bit more philosophically. And so play obviously is a crucial factor within games. But from a conceptual standpoint, the thing that differentiates between play and games is that games have rules and, generally speaking, a winning objective, whereas play is more free format. So you go inside a playground, and that's more of a free play situation, right? You have a sandbox there sometimes, and the kids are building their own thing. There's no real objective. And there aren't any rules. Exactly, uh, except for creative expression. They go on a slide and they can do whatever they want. They make up things, they make up stories, they make up scenarios. The instant that you are telling them, the first person to get off the slide and give me a high five wins, you are turning that into a game. And so our space, I guess, is a mix of both of them. And we don't want to draw the line so clearly That's why a lot of our experiences, a lot of the things that we do in the classroom float between these two spaces. 
So let's talk a little bit about something pretty major in the past few years that might have changed a lot of this. As we know, the pandemic drove a lot of learning to going remotely. But I think we all know that there are a lot of advantages to the social aspects of both learning and play. So for you, how has that changed the market and what people's expectations are? And is that reverting now or is it moving on to a whole new thing? So I think this is a very interesting topic because it obviously does go hand in hand with the platform that we're accessing play and games through. The moment that a lot of learning was moved on to online platforms, right? Zoom and Teams and Google Classroom and things like that. The number one challenge that educators would face is how do we keep these students and kids engaged? There's a huge difference between working with the classroom in person, being able to see that, hey, Carolyn, you're falling asleep. I can call you out, but you're still there. I can still see it versus 40 students who have their cameras off. Yep. So how do you maintain control of a classroom, for lack of a better word? Then a lot of the burden falls onto the educator to make their content more engaging. I feel like the, the rise in game-based learning or gamification or learning through play, all these kind of adjacent concepts has grown, not just because games are powerful and games are fun and everybody loves them, but because you just need a way to keep your audience engaged. When they're not in the same room with you anymore, the burden falls on you to do that. Obviously, there's been a lot of digital platforms like Kahoot that infuses a lot of these things. We like to go a little bit further than just turning things into like a quiz type format. We want to make them a little bit more immersive. We want to make almost like our kids, our students, the protagonist in a story, give them the agency to determine their own path, to make their own decisions um, and do all of that. But overall, the trend is definitely growing. Yes, they are reverting to in-person formats back into the classroom. But the principles, I think, are here to stay because more and more kids are going to have access to games and more and more kids want to be entertained. They want to be engaged. So what would you say determines the success of a game? I think I like the point you were making about the amount of creativity and freedom you can get being quite important. So so what are those kind of winning factors that the runaway successes in this space have? So it's interesting because it depends very strongly on what type of experience you're trying to create. A very easy example is something like Roblox and something like Minecraft. Right? A lot of times we think of digital games as solo experiences, and oftentimes they are. I grew up with a lot of single player games. Math Blaster was my go-to at the time. That was an educational game where you were a space adventurer and you would fly through caves and fight aliens using the power of addition and subtraction and <laughs> awesome. stuff like that, right? So yeah. cool. Not really, but pretty cool. <laughs> um, the cool thing about Roblox and Minecraft is that, yes, it is a solo experience because you are sitting in front of a computer, but there is this kind of community that's out there who are going through this with you. So that's one of the benefits. The second benefit, obviously, is that the kids are playing Roblox and Minecraft regardless. And so you're bringing some of their favorite content, some of their favorite brands and IP into a learning environment. Of course, that's going to be pretty popular. For us, how we look at the success of, a, say, game-based experience or any adventure or story that we design is how engrossed and how immersed our kids and our students are in that experience. There's a lot of depth that kind of goes into it. For example, we want to think about game mechanics that are a little bit more tied in with the learning goals that we have for this particular program. 
If it's a math program, sure, yeah, you fight aliens using the power of addition. But you take a step back, no aliens that I know of in this universe are defeated because you know what one plus one equals. So the mechanics of getting through a challenge, if they don't match up thematically with what the challenge actually is, then you still have a sort of disconnect there. So there needs to be a lot of thought. There has to be a lot of thought, in our opinion at least. So a lot of times when we do our writing programs or storytelling programs or humanities programs, how we introduce these skills and how we have our students practice and reflect and apply these skills are actually baked into the story. So we have a debate program that is actually a murder mystery trial. So you have to learn all about the logical fallacies and you have to take case studies and precedent cases and different testimonials from fictional characters that are in our universe to break down their arguments, to find inconsistencies and form your own ways to persuade the other party. And so you're practicing all these skills in a way that is not explicit, in a way that is not super disconnected from what the story actually is about. It's the factor that you possibly don't even realize that it is a learning tool and exactly. you're actually just having fun. And what you're gaining otherwise as learning skills is a brilliant byproduct of it. And I think that's a lovely way of putting it. What are you seeing in terms of, say, educational establishments really getting on board with using these types of products, these games, as part of a general classroom experience? How we look at learning experience design is we want to be a little bit more holistic about that. We have a little diagram. It's like a triangle. So think of the three nodes, like the three tips of the triangle being process, tools, and delivery. A lot of times when we think of games as digital games, of course, they are tools. Now, when schools have STEM budgets or ICT budgets, a lot of schools generally default to spending them on tools because it's easy, right? I buy an iPad, I buy a 3D printer, it's very tangible, but especially in this age of AI and obviously the pandemic as well, we feel like it's not just the tools that should dominate the conversation, it's the context around it. So how do we use the tools? That's the process. How do we build that learning experience? That's the tools. How do we then bring it to life is the delivery. They kind of go hand in hand. You can't really facilitate a game-based learning experience in the classroom if you don't know how to bring a game to life. If you're the most boring person on the planet, you're only able to lecture, then that's the delivery piece that's missing. If you don't know how to construct something that has player agency or student agency in an educational setting, then you're missing the process too. And so you, then you're always defaulting to, okay, now we're going to use Minecraft, but you're beholden to those tools. And so you're always thinking about it holistically as in what does the student need at this point in time? Then you're thinking about what tools come in and then what are the facilitation skills that you're going to use to bring them to life in a classroom setting? And so as there's a growth in awareness and the need of learning through play and game-based learning and all of these concepts, then I do think that all three of these aspects are going to be pretty important going forward. Lovely of you to come into the studio to help us understanding a little bit more about game-based learning and where it's going. That's Vince Stu, who is founder and CEO of the Press Start Academy.